millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the history of Russia. I'm Damon, and this is episode 48, Peter the Great, part 3, The Grand Embassy. Thanks for listening in. Okay, before we get going this week, I feel duty-bound to mention the recent passing of Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, who died, I think it was back in late August, aged 92. Now, at the current rate of travel, I think it's fair to say that we won't be covering his life and times for a while yet. But for the time being, I just wanted to say that on balance, and perhaps minus Chernobyl and the Baltic states crackdown, that he was probably one of the better Russian leaders, certainly in terms of his intentions anyway. Now, I'm fairly certain, though, in fact, I know, a lot of Russians, including the present leader, would have a different take. But that's my current view, and I'm sticking to it until I change my mind. So anyway, where were we? Well, last time out, we covered Peter the Great's overarching aims and ambitions, which, just to recap, were to gain a Russian foothold on the Black and Baltic Seas and transform Russia into a major European power. And we saw the first attempt at realising those aims with the Tsar's Azov campaign, the setup of the Voronezh shipyard and the sending of numerous Russian nobles to Western European states to learn each and every aspect of seamanship. We also looked in a bit more detail at the Jolly Company and saw how for most, and that in the end, it really wasn't that jolly at all. And then we finished off with the shock or surprising news that a great or grand embassy had been organised, which would see around 250 Russians, headed by Lefort and Golovin, visit various European states, with Peter travelling incognito as Peter Mikhailov. 
So this week we'll be concentrating on the Grand Embassy, but you know me. Before we get on the road west, we need to look at a number of related or contextual items. And those are the reasons and the aims for the Embassy in the first place, and the whole Peter Mikhailov pretense, the security of the Russian state, and Peter's for that matter, whilst he was going to be absent. And then we need to take a quick look at four countries and states that will start to have an increasing increasing impact upon our narrative as we move into the 18th century. We've got England and Austria, which I've mentioned a few times before, Prussia, which I haven't, and is very much the new kid on the block, and France. So let's take those in order. So the main reasons and aims of Peter being the first Russian head of state to peacefully travel abroad, albeit incognito, were firstly to acquire seafaring and naval expertise so that the Tsar could realise his aims and ambitions. And then secondly, the Tsar wanted to reinvigorate the Holy League as Russia's current view was that it was having to handle the Ottoman threat pretty much on its own. Now some sources have these the other way round in terms of priority, but to my mind, this was first and foremost a naval intelligence working trip. So why did Peter have to go in person, and why did he have to go incognito? Why couldn't he have just sent Lefort and Golovin? Well, as we know, the announcement had shocked many on the Russian side, but a number of people on the European side of the fence were also perplexed. And here there appeared to be two separate schools of thought. One was that the embassy was just a diversion, or a jolly for the Tsar. He wanted to get out of Russia for a while, and have a bit of a European holiday. And then two, he wanted to see what life was like for the average European, so that he could become a better, more understanding leader. And I guess that there were elements of both, although I reckon it was much more of the former, and much less of the latter. And travelling incognito? Well, this was just a game. Peter knew he would be recognised and that there would be occasions during his trip when he would be given the utmost respect and treated with deference. But it would also mean that he was not expected to attend all of those tiresome formal engagements and that he could slip away pretty much whenever he wanted. Everyone would know he was the Tsar, but he wouldn't have to act like the Tsar. Anyway, Back to why Peter himself was travelling, because I think that there was a third reason, and that was trust, or a lack of it. Peter didn't really trust Lefort and Golovin to either come back with the necessary naval knowledge and experience, or to be able to sort out the Holy League, which leads us nicely on to the second area of discussion, because if Peter had a problem with trust, why was he happy to leave Russia for a prolonged period in the hands of others? Could he rely on them? to keep things running and secure. Well, he thought he could, but just in case. Before leaving for the West, charges were brought against a handful of Streltsy officers and boyars who had apparently criticised the Tsar's lifestyle. Peter, realising that this was an excellent opportunity to set an example, and this is truly bizarre, had the body of the scorpion Miloslavsky who died back in 1685, exhumed, and then had the unfortunate officers and boyars tortured and then beheaded whilst they stood over the rotting or rotten corpse. The Tsar was pretty sure that that had done the trick, 
and that it would leave the men who were to be in charge of Russia, Patrick Gordon, Fyodor Romodonovsky, and the now back in favour Boris Golitsyn, plus a handful of others, with very little to worry about whilst he was away. Or so he thought. OK, now let's look very quickly at the current status of the four states or nations that I mentioned at the beginning, three of which Peter would be visiting, and one of which he wouldn't. So Austria and its capital Vienna, over the last century and a half, had become the key player in the Holy Roman Empire, and was the heartland of the Habsburgs, the most important imperial family stroke dynasty. In around a hundred years or so, the Holy Roman Empire would cease to exist, and the Habsburg-Austrian Empire would be its main successor state. Prussia, or at this stage the Duchy of Prussia, had grown out of the territory occupied by the Teutonic Knights, and until recently had been part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. However, when the Swedes had taken interim charge of the area, the duchy had been granted more or less its independence. And as the Commonwealth's fortune started to slowly wane, and it's only got around a century to go too, Prussia's went in the opposite direction, and its territory and influence grew. Now joined with Brandenburg, the duchy would in 1701 become the Kingdom of Prussia, and would then, over the next century and a half, develop into a major European player. England had recently undergone a revolution of sorts, the so-called Glorious Revolution of 1688, which saw the Catholic James II exiled and be replaced by his Protestant daughter Mary II and her Protestant husband William III, who had both reigned jointly until Mary's death in 1694. And William III, or William of Orange as he was also called, now ruled the country alone. But he was also in de facto control of the Dutch Republic. Peter, because of the influence of the Dutchmen Timmerman and Brandt, who had effectively brought about the Tsar's love of anything to do with ships and navies, had a natural affinity with William, and therefore by default with both the Dutch and the English. And, because William was at odds with the French, Peter kind of instinctively felt the same. France in 1697 was still pretty much at the top of its game, although some would say that under the 59-year-old Louis XIV, the Sun King no less, who'd been on the throne since 1643, things were just starting to slip a little. Nevertheless, and as per Robert Massey's superb book, Peter the Great, now before I do this quotation, I'm going to try and combine two things. So the first thing is the quotation voice, and the second thing is a French accent. So let's see how it goes. The power and glory of France, the splendor of Versailles, the French army and the autocratic control of Louis were still seen as being unsurpassed and without parallel across the rest of the continent. And French was the language of international diplomacy, culture and polite royal circles. Oh, I think that went better than I thought. <laughs> but none of that impressed the Tsar. Or maybe it did and he was jealous. And anyway, William of Orange and Louis had been on opposing sides during the Nine Years' War which had only just ended, 
and would soon be at each other's throats again during the impending war of the Spanish succession. Plus, Louis was supporting the exiled James II, who was currently living in Paris, and he, Louis that is, was refusing to acknowledge William as the rightful King of England. Also of importance to Peter was that France was the only major European power to be on good relations with the Ottomans, and so for those three key reasons, the court at Versailles was not on the Grand Embassy's itinerary. And neither was Rome, which contradicts what I said in the last episode. I don't know why I said that Peter would visit Rome. I'm sure I read it somewhere, but anyway, I was wrong, and I should have double-checked. The Tsar never went to Rome, or if he did, he didn't tell anyone, and no one found out. Okay, I think that's enough preamble. It's now time to hit the road. On March the 20th, 1697, Peter Mikhailov, Franz Lefort, Fyodor Golovin and their entourage, which included various ministers, soldiers, priests, cooks, trumpeters and the obligatory dwarves, left Moscow and headed northwest towards Novgorod. Now, late 17th century European winters were much colder than today's and tended to end later. Plus, the embassy's baggage train was huge, and so initial progress was slow, with Peter and his entourage often finding themselves miles ahead of everyone else. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The first main stop on the road was Riga. Now the capital of Latvia, of course, but then in Swedish-held Livonia. And that was finally reached in mid-April. However, during his stay there, Peter wasn't to enjoy the best of times. First of all, no one on the Russian side had told the Swedish governor that the embassy was so large and therefore the correct lodging preparations hadn't been made. And then secondly, the Swedes got the wrong end of the stick and actually observed Peter's incognito status to the letter, probably on purpose. And therefore, they practically ignored him, which annoyed the Tsar somewhat. But then on the flip side, and quite understandably, in terms of security, they stopped Peter from sketching and measuring various fortifications on his occasional trips around and outside the capital. And this really annoyed the Tsar. The final straw, though, was 
when the Swedes announced that because Peter wasn't only passing through their territory and that Livonia wasn't the Grand Embassy's final or only destination, then in their minds this wasn't an official visit and they weren't responsible for picking up the costs. The Russian party decided that enough was enough, packed their vast quantity of baggage and left for the next stage on their itinerary, the Duchy of Courland, which is now part of Western Latvia, but then was a semi-independent part of Poland. But Peter wouldn't forget how he had been treated in Riga, or by what he saw as Swedish insolence. And Courland would prove to be a much better experience, and here the Tsar and his party would receive the respect and hospitality that they were used to. The Duke managed to get his observance of the incognito rules spot on, kept the entertainment, food and drink coming, which Peter and his entourage enjoyed copiously and to excess, leading some of the Duke's men to observe that the Russians were nothing more, and I really like this, than baptised bears. Königsberg in Prussia, which is today's Russian city of Kaliningrad, was the next stop. And here Peter met with Duke Frederick, or the soon-to-be King Frederick I, and the two discussed their views on a potential alliance against the Swedes, the current situation regarding the Ottoman threat, and related to that, the forthcoming election to choose a new King of Poland, Jan Sobieski having recently died. There were two candidates, the French-backed François-Louis, Prince of Conti, and Augustus the Strong, the Elector of Saxony, a.k.a. Iron Hand, because of his physical strength. He was backed by Peter and the Austrian Habsburgs, mainly because they, a, knew that Augustus would carry on the Holy League's fight against the Ottomans, and b, they couldn't stand the thought of Louis XIV's man gaining the Polish crown. Peter hung around in Prussia until late June when it was confirmed that Augustus had been crowned as the new king and then he made his way across northern Germany where incidentally he met Sophia, the Electress of Hanover who was the mother of the future George I of England and, also incidentally, sister of Prince Rupert, the dashing English Civil War cavalry commander before arriving in the Dutch Republic in mid-August. And here, Peter could, for a while, put the political aspects of his trip behind him and get fully engaged in what he liked best, shipbuilding. He immediately enrolled at the Zarmdam shipyards in Amsterdam, as shipwright Mikhailov, of course, and spent the next five months rubbing shoulders with sailors, shipbuilders and merchants, always eager to learn and always on the lookout for anyone who would be able to help back in Russia's own shipyard in Voronezh. But there was always time for the odd distraction to keep the Tsar's restless mind occupied, and in Amsterdam, after attending an official post-mortem, as you do on a weekend away in Amsterdam, Peter became obsessed with human anatomy, and in particular, dentistry. So much so, that he bought himself a set of surgical instruments, and after that, if anyone in his retinue complained of a toothache or any kind of malady, Peter would jump up, get his bag of instruments and start to investigate. Suffice to say that going forward, no one ever made the mistake of moaning to the Tsar about feeling unwell. 
Having learned all he could or all he thought that he could from the Dutch, the Tsar decided it was time to move on. And in January 1698, he arrived in London at the official invitation of William III. And the great embassy would remain in England until either late April or early May, accounts differ. And for Peter, this leg of the journey would prove to be the highlight of the entire European trip. William was also looking forward to the visit as he was keen to re-establish diplomatic and commercial relations with Russia, which, if you remember, had been damaged when Tsar Alexei had found out that the British had cut off King Charles I's head. And so initially, the King, King William that is, went out of his way to impress the Russians. There was the gift of a yacht, each member of the Tsar's retinue received a handsome daily allowance, and Peter was provided with a large house in Deptford, near the docks. There were many official stroke unofficial meetings with William and his court, trips to the House of Lords and meetings with eminent politicians, scientists and religious leaders, some of which Peter declined, visits to dockyards, the Royal Observatory at Greenwich and the Woolwich Arsenal. Oh, and the Tsar was also supplied with an English courtesan by the name of Letitia Cross. Trade deals, eh? You just love them. But of paramount importance to the Tsar was that during his time in England, he discovered that for him, the British way of building ships was better than the Dutch method. Now, in fact, both countries' craftsmen were equally as clever, and their respective end results were just as good. It's just that the Dutch favoured intuition, experience and skill whereas the English were sticklers for documentation, doing things by the book, and repeatable processes. Just what the Tsar wanted for the Voronezh yards. Eventually, though, and with trade deals signed, William started to tire of his Russian visitors, who had become the talk of London, and really not for the right reasons. Their boorish behaviour and constant partying was getting out of hand. The house and garden in Deptford was a wreck and would actually cost £300, which is £30,000 in today's money, to put right. William finally persuaded the Tsar that it was time to go, and at some point in the spring of 1698, Peter left England with his yacht and a small army of English craftsmen and made his way back across the Channel. Before he departed, though, he left his companion, Letitia Cross, a gift of £500 to thank her for her hospitality. £500 was £50,000 in today's money. Rumour has it that Peter thought he had overpaid. Apparently, Letitia thought otherwise. The embassy's next stop was Vienna, and talks with the Habsburgs and Venetians to try and beef up the Holy League, and agree on the next steps to be taken against the Ottomans. The trouble was that the Holy Roman Emperor, Leopold I, had suddenly gone cold on the idea and no longer saw the Turks as his number one priority. He was now much more concerned with the threat from the French and the imminent war of the Spanish succession. And unfortunately for Peter, the Venetians kind of felt the same and they resisted the Tsar's attempts to set up further talks with the Doge in Venice. Thinking on his feet, the Tsar, seeing that there was nothing else to be gained with either Leopold or the Venetians, quickly hot-footed it up to Warsaw 
and started to discuss next steps with Augustus the Strong, the new king of Poland, which were, forget about the Habsburgs and the Venetians, and by default the Ottomans, and concentrate instead perhaps in a new direction, north towards Sweden. And the main reason for this was that old Charles or Karl XI had died back in the April of 1697, leaving his 15-year-old son and namesake, Charles or Karl XII, as the new king, albeit with a regency administration in charge. However, towards the end of the year, young Charles had decided that he was old enough, wise enough and strong enough to rule in his own right, and had informed the regency council that they were no longer required. The King of Poland and the Tsar of Russia jointly agreed that with what they saw as a new, young and untested youth on the throne of Sweden, the time was right to push the Swedes back into Scandinavia and take back the lands that both had lost earlier in the 18th century. And for Peter, this would be a chance to finally get that outlet on the Baltic Sea. Anyway, whilst all of this diplomatic wrangling had been going on, Peter had received some worrying news via letter from Romadonovsky back in Moscow. Apparently, a large faction of the Streltsy, based down in Azov, of all places, had mutinied and started to march on the capital. This news was tempered by the fact that Patrick Gordon had later managed to defeat the rebels and that over a 100 of them had been executed, with a further 2,000 held captive and awaiting the Tsar's justice. Peter, however, was concerned. He'd been away for 16 months, and he knew that he needed to get back to Russia. It was time to stop being Peter Mikhailov and start being, start being Tsar Peter Alexeyevich Romanov again. But this time, things would be different. OK, we are done for this week. Next time, we'll look at the aftermath of the European trip, how it had affected the Tsar, and how it would impact upon the Russian state, and some particularly prominent Russians. Plus, we'll cover the build-up of Tsar Peter I and friends versus King Charles XII of Sweden, or, as it's alternatively known, the Great Northern War. So, until then, put your best foot forward, keep your chin up and your head down, and I'll speak to you all soon.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.